Excellent. It is a blessing to be here with all of you. It is hard to get away for some of us pastors on a Sabbath, and so this is actually my first time here at Cala Mesa. I have been in Southern California for over 20 years, but this is my first time here, so I'm really glad to be able to be here with you all. And thank you for welcoming me. It is a, it's been feeling really warm and welcoming, and what beautiful music we have had together. I've really enjoyed it. It's lovely being a guest here today, and I'm curious, am, am I the only guest here today, or do we have anybody else who's here for the first time, or the second time, or wonderful. We welcome each one of you here as well. I'm claiming the ability to welcome you here, and it's lovely to be together. I heard of a preacher who once broke the ice of coming into a new community by asking a question, and I'm going to ask you this, this question as well. How many of you here have ever needed to be rescued? Oh, so if you want to look around, I think there might be some, some interesting stories for those who've raised your hands. How many of your, those who've raised your hands, how many of your rescues involved a, an ambulance or firefighters or, oh, this one right here, ambulance and firefighters, all right. Recently, um, I had a birthday earlier this month and uh, I am officially an adult. I am no longer a young adult. I have graduated into the full adult world. And my, my first day of full adulthood, um, I was in Malibu. Uh, I had spent the night there with my cousin, and we were enjoying the beautiful location. And we thought it would be wonderful to go swimming out there in Malibu. It was beautiful. We were swimming, it was gorgeous. We were in between the two flags that were on the beach that told us the area in which we were to swim. And we were swimming there and the lifeguard kind of waved at us because we started drifting into the area beyond the flag and told us to go back, so we swam back. But then we were just chatting about life and about being full adults now. And uh, after just a couple of minutes, I started noticing that we had drifted quite far from where we had been originally, and so I told my cousin, who was a little bit further than me, let's start swimming back to shore, because I think we're not where we're supposed to be. And we start swimming, and she starts moving closer to shore, but I do not move. I experienced one of those things that you might experience if you are on a treadmill exercising. You were working really hard, but you were not getting anywhere. And so I was trying to swim parallel to the beach, which is what you're supposed to do, and I don't get anywhere. So I try and swim towards the beach, and I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not panicking. I've grown up around um, beaches a lot, and I figure if push comes to shove, I'll just float for a while. Um, but luckily, I didn't have to do that because there was a lifeguard on duty who noticed that I wasn't moving and that I was trying and started running across the beach in one of those epic movie <laughs> runs. 
He ran across the beach towards where I was. He grabbed his red floaty thing. He started making his way towards me. I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, and before he got to me, he dove into the waves. It was very epic. And, uh, and I, I was like, oh my, I'm about to be rescued <laughs> for the first time. In my grown-up self, I'm about to be rescued um, by a lifeguard. But actually, I was rescued by a surfer who was closer to me, came by, said, do you need some help? And uh, I said, sure. He said, get on the board. He, he swam me in. Um, the, when the lifeguard caught up to us, actually, the lifeguard asked the surfer, uh, do you want me to take her? I can take her in. And the lifeguard said, no. I mean, the surfer said, no, she's fine. She can swim in. And I said, in my head, <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to tug me in. But no, the surfer made me swim the whole way in. <laughs> It was great to be rescued. Um, when you are in some type of stress or strain and somebody comes and gets you out of it, it is wonderful. But then the, the person who had mentioned um, this ice-breaking activity asked a second question. And the second question is, how many of you who have been rescued know the name of your rescuer? Some of you do. I did not. I said, thank you so much for rescuing me. I really appreciate it. And then we waved bye-bye. We are today going to be talking about the gospel, the powerful, beautiful, wonderful story of what God is doing for us. And sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think about the fact that God has rescued us, right? And that is wonderful and amazing and what each one of us need. We need to be rescued. But rescue does not always automatically lead to relationship, right? We might be rescued and then never know the name of our rescuer. The gospel, however, salvation is much more than just rescue. And today, together, I'm hoping that we can explore what this so much more might look like. I remember a long time ago, probably 20-odd years ago um, in college, coming across this verse in the Bible um, book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. And if you are new here, if this is your first time back in church for a long time, I'm going to be going through various sections and verses in the Bible, but we encourage you to maybe jot down just what the title is or what the book is, and you can go and look at it later. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has had his life transformed by encountering the risen Jesus Christ, and he has been rescued from the track that he was on, but something I found so interesting in reading the Apostle Paul is that it's not just about rescue. Romans 5 verse 10 says this, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, or another way of saying that could be we were rescued by, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled and rescued, shall we be saved through his life? What could that mean? What is this how much more that we are talking about here? 
we sometimes think what I need most is to be rescued, and that is true, but there is a how much more to salvation. So, We've talked a little bit, we've started off talking about the fact that God rescues us, but that rescue does not necessarily immediately mean relationship. And then there's another truth about relationships themselves. Not all relationships are reliable. Not all relationships are resilient. Not all relationships are robust. Have any of you ever experienced the fragility of a relationship. I have had, um, I have loved the language of we are part of the family of God. And I love that that is about what we have been talking about, what you have been expressing and experiencing this past month. But sometimes when you use the language of family, that might evoke different feelings for some of us. What do we mean by family? Some, one of the first things that people ask me when they, they see me and I was, um, I, I'm getting to know somebody is they often ask me, do you have a family? And it is an interesting question because when they ask me that, it sometimes feels like what they're asking me is, are you married with children? And I can say no to that, but I can't say no to having a family, right? I have parents and siblings and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins and an extended family. What do we mean when we ask, do you have a family? And what do we mean when we say, yes, I have one? Because some of us here, our, our family stories might not be quite as rosy as we would hope. Some of us might have had marriages that fail or might have had parents that abandoned us, or might have been in an abusive relationship. I really appreciated what Gary shared here a little bit earlier about the fact that families can sometimes be fragile. It's not always wonderful to talk about, but it is true. And in the church, we should talk about true things, right? Not all relationships are resilient. I remember when I was at the Redlands Church, we had a kids' church going on, and we were trying to teach kids the meaning of resiliency, and we, we did this by doing, putting a, a human being in a large, circular, um, clear bubble, and that human being would walk around, and then he would fall, do you, I don't know if anyone remembers this kids' church who was here. They would fall and then they would bounce back up. Relationships that were resilient, they could have moments that would fall, but they would bounce right back up. And yet, the truth is, some relationships are fragile. We see this in Scripture. We talked about the fact that in the very beginning, God the triune God, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, creates Adam and Eve, creates a family. But in the very next generation, that family is fragile, right? If you don't know the story, there are two sons, Cain and Abel, and the one kills the other. 
We see this in Noah and his children. We see in Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar. If you read through the book of generations, you, the book of Genesis, you see this fragility. So one thing that I want to mention when we talk about what the gospel is about is, first of all, not just about rescue, but about relationship, but secondly, not just any type of relationship. This is God's relationship with us. It is not fragile, but faithful. Amen? Amen. God's relationship with us shows a different way to be in family. If you have ever wondered about the fragility of God's relationship with you, this is the gospel, that God's love is steadfast. Amen? It is steadfast. There is a phrase in Hebrew which is hard to translate into English. And I currently am working in a church that we have, oh, 60 different nationalities and we translate our service into, into three or four different languages every week. And it is true that some words are very difficult to translate from one language into another. And this Hebrew word is one that is hard to translate into other languages. It is the word chesed, which means steadfast love. And we see this word repeated in the Old Testament. In the book of Psalms, you'll see it. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness, or chesed, reaches to the skies. There is a section in Psalms, Psalms 136, where the whole long psalm is a call and response between Israel and God, repeating this idea, your steadfast love endures forever. So I'm gonna invite us to, to do this quick call and response. I'm going to say a phrase, and I'm going to ask you to respond with, his chesed endures forever. All right? Let's say it together. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His endures forever. The psalm goes on through the whole story of Israel, repeating this idea that God's steadfast love is different somehow from the experiences we sometimes have. It is not fragile. The gospel is not just that God has rescued you, but that God remains in relationship with you. And on God's side, that relationship is rock solid. There are times when I have to visit people in the hospital and they're drawing close to the end of their life. And one of the passages that I have found most profoundly meaningful to me and to many of the people with whom I speak also is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, where Paul writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present or the future, any powers, height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
This is the love of God that scripture testifies to. And yet there is also a how much more even now. God does more than rescue us. God enters into relationship with us. God does more than enter into any type of relationship with us. God enters into a faithful, firm, chaset relationship with us. But then there is also a so much more, part three. God adopts a fractured world and knits us together into a family of faith. There is uh, an illustration that a, a fellow pastor shared that I appreciated that talked about us being knit together. It's kind of like a triangle where you think of people on, let's see, where you think of people on either side of this triangle, one over here, one over here, and God is at the top. As you draw closer to God, what happens to the distance between the people? You draw closer to each other. Do you see it? The top of the triangle, you've got people at a distance at the bottom, but as you draw closer to God, God is knitting people closer together as well. Some of us have been reading through the book of Ephesians in the Sabbath school lessons that happen in the beginning of our Saturday mornings. And in Ephesians, this is one of those how much more things that Paul is talking about. In our church, we have, as I mentioned, people from all over the world that are gathered together. I sometimes say, what would it be like if we had a church where we had nothing in common except for Jesus and it was enough? Well, the Lord smiled at that statement and brought me to a church where we have nothing in common except for Jesus, and it is enough. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, or other translations say, members of his family. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I love the language that we are part of the family of God. But I do think we need to tweak it just a little bit because this is a new type of family. It is a family that is based on some things that are a little bit different to some of our families of origin. And there is a phrase or kind of a metaphor that is used in scripture um, that I have found really significant in my life about how this new family is getting forged together. In Galatians 4, Paul, and I'm going through the letters here with you today. In Galatians 4, Paul talks about the idea of us being adopted into God's family. There's a book that I came across that was called Adopted, the Sacrament of Belonging in a Fractured World. The author of this book was adopted when she was a child, 
And then she grew up and she married somebody from a different culture and they adopted children. And she is a theologian and was writing about the experience of adoption from a theological perspective and from a scriptural perspective. And she writes the following. She says, from the faith of Abraham to the unorthodox genealogies, the apostle Paul reveals the truth hinted at throughout generations that we belong in this new family by believing, not by biology. Can I say that again? There is a new type of family that is being knit together and it's based not on biology, but on belonging. All who believe, all who keep the covenant, all who want in can be grafted into this family tree. And as our eyes are opened, we begin to see a more expansive kind of family. And by comparison, our notion of family defined by bloodlines or defined by ethnicities begin to look too narrow and far too exclusive to resemble God's family. God's family. It is a new type of family that is knit together, not by biology, but by belonging to God. And when, and when we start to see the world through this lens of belonging to God, new ways of connection, of knitting people together who were once strangers happen. There's a story that is told about a couple on an airline with an eight-week-old baby. And the airline hostess asks this couple, oh, wow, you, you have a very newborn baby here. What, what is leading you to travel? And the couple says, well, actually, we are adoptive parents. This is our adopted child, and we, we traveled to, to go and adopt this child, and we are bringing this child back. And the hostess said, oh, that is wonderful. We're so excited for you. And then, and then she went away, and she didn't just say those words, but she went on to the um, speaker phone, or whatever it is in the airplanes, I'm forgetting, intercom, whatever it is that thing that people speak on. And she said, we have a special moment here. We have some new parents who are on our flight. They are, this is their first time being parents. They have an eight week old and we would love to throw an impromptu baby shower. So we are going to hand out napkins to all of you and we're gonna hand out pens and we are gonna ask you to write words of encouragement and support and advice and love to this new family. And so they do. And the plane, which was once a plane full of strangers, in the presence of this adopted family, becomes an adopted community, even if just for that moment. It is incredible to consider that God has adopted us, you and you and me, and the person next to you. In fact, I'm gonna invite you right now to take a look to the person to your left and to the person to your right. They have been adopted. You belong together. You might not want to belong together, but you do. Not because of any special skills of any of us, not because we're particularly good, 
but because we are God's. We have been caught up in God's love and we find ourselves here and what is part of the gospel is not just being rescued individually from our sins, but God is saving us from our sins and saving us for his family. A family based not on biology, but on belonging. As we close this series on the family of God, I'm going to give you an invitation slash challenge. I'm going to invite you this, this next week, and please extend it beyond this week, but even just for one week, think of a time in your day, or we can all do the same time. Let's say three o'clock in your day. Set a timer on your phone, and whenever three o'clock hits this next week, pause, look to your left, look to your right, See who you are in the presence of and remember that they have been adopted by God. That God's family is not supposed to extend only to those who are in this room, but that these people that you meet are already your brothers and sisters. What does it look like to extend the love, the chesed love, the steadfast love of God to them? Church family, We live in a time of extraordinary division where we are being split more and more and more and more based on so many different beliefs or behaviors or whatever. God is calling us to display a different type of family, to be God's light. In the book of John, in the letters of John, one of our core verses at the Paradise Valley Church says this, we love because he first loved us. Because God first loved us, let us love. Amen. Amen. With me for the benediction. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for your steadfast love, for the fact that your relationship with us is not fragile, that you show up over and over and over again. God, we pray that we can be in those types of relationships with each other, steadfast, loving, a new kind of family knit together by you. God, we thank you for this good news that you have saved us for relationship. We pray that as we show the family of God here on earth, that there will be more and more and more who will be part of the family of God in heaven. We thank you, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen.